Trip, thank you all for worshiping, man. That's an awesome song. The song is so comforting. Um, and uh, really the theme of our service today has been all about comfort and finding comfort. Um, and I hope that you leave here with more comfort than you came. Um, if you ever wonder what kind of the rhyme for the reason is uh, for what we do, um, you know, we, we set out... Um, and it's my prayer as a pastor to set out to, um, as, as the scripture presents us with both, com- with both comfort and challenge, um, and it's our prayer that, you know, our services and our messages um, uh, both comfort and challenge us. Um, I would say about 60-40, most of our messages are comforting, uh, and, and there are a little bit, maybe sometimes more than a little bit, that are challenging. Um, I think every message that we find from God's Word has both something that is comforting and challenging in it. Um, some are more leaning one way or the other, um, but uh, I love I love preaching uh, whatever God leads me and, and, and calls me to do, um, but uh, that's is full of so much comfort, and I think our message today is full of so much comfort. Um, but there may be a challenge uh, to step out from uh, a comfort from from what we think is a comfort zone, what we think um, is our our you know kind of our destiny and in, in our fate. Um, and God calls us to something better, and it may be scary at first to where He's calling us and, and what He's calling us to do. But I'll guarantee you this, and we know this as Christians, and 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 we know this as believers. God is never calling us to do anything or to any place that is not the best place for us and the best future possible for us. Um, and, and that is the hope that we have as a believer. And that is the hope that you can have as a believer. And I hope that you have a Bible with you. We're in Luke 14. We're going to begin our time by reading Luke 14, verse 1 through 6. Um, this uh, scripture is, uh, is so powerful. It, uh, it really rocked the foundation of the Jewish world when uh, this event happened uh, all those years ago. Um, and this was something that uh, uh, th- this event was similar to a few others uh, like it in Jesus' ministry. But this one sends such a powerful message. And I think it's going to lead us to a very, very comforting place today as we talk about the promise of the Sabbath and how that applies and and, and how that can still bring hope to us today. So Luke 14, the Word of God tells us, Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. Behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy or had some sort of paralysis. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him up on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. You know, summertime is coming to an end, and maybe that's what Labor Day means to you and what it kind of, you know, symbolically means for um, kind of us as a culture. Summertime is coming to an end. You can't wear white after that, right? You can't wear white. I, you know, I've watched Saturday Night Fever, and I kind of want to do that, you know, but I never have looked the best in white suits. Um, I don't have a white suit. Uh, don't worry. Um, but if it, maybe if I would have been born in the 70s, who knows? But... Sometimes coming to an end, um, so, you know, y'all know what that means. But, you know, it can be kind of a bummer, can it? And, you know, I hope that you're not kind of down that summer is, is ending, and we've still got a few weeks of warm weather. But sometimes uh, it can be kind of a downer, kind of a bummer um, as we move into the, the cooler um, season, uh, as the temperatures begin to drop, as the days begin to shorten, as the weather begins to decline, um, as we begin to have to spend more time indoors than out. And, you know, over the next few months, um, you know, your budgets, our budgets will tighten. Um, our priorities will shift and our schedules will fill up with all sorts of things. And, and maybe the biggest difference
difference between summer and fall and winter for most people isn't that things slow down, and they don't at all, do they? Uh, but it's that things turn around or things shift in a different direction. Um, for many, summer is a time that we can do or we want to do and hope to do as much as we want, uh, with, with whomever we want, whenever we want, however we want. And if we can't do it, we envy those who can. Uh, but summer is a season uh, that we use to serve ourselves, and not in a negative or a punitive way. I don't mean that that way. But I think summer is a season that we kind of treat ourselves, right? Americans seem to be wired this way. Maybe it's because of our school years. I don't know. But we as a people seem to be wired to see summer as an opportunity to treat ourselves. And sometimes we feel entitled to those sorts of leisures and luxuries, don't we? You know, summer is earmarked by blockbusters, fireworks, and catchy songs that carry themes of freedom, empowerment, and opportunity. But fall is a much different season, and winter, of course, after. But fall brings a change of pace. And even for those who have zero or less responsibility than most, fall puts many speed bumps in front of our lives, and it forces us to slow down a little bit. Uh, Even for those, and, and maybe the greatest contrast from summer to fall is whereas summer can be a lot about us, Fall forces, a, forces us to consider people besides us. And, and whether it's because the school year requires that our attention shifts to our kids, maybe it's because you spend more time indoors and you just can't get away from people as you normally can. Um, you've got to learn how to get along with people, right? Um, you know, holidays are approaching and we can't just blow everything we make on ourselves, can we? Uh, and for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different ways, things slow down and we are forced to slow down. And, and we aren't always going to get our way. Something or someone is going to get in the way. And sometimes we just push them over, don't we? And we keep on going, but eventually that catches up to us. You know, and that's life. Regardless of the season change, you know, there is an ebb and flow. There's a rhythm of taking and giving, moving forwards and moving backwards that will follow us every year throughout the seasons. And in a lot of ways, summertime can mask some of the struggles that we face. Uh, And by, by that I mean, as the seasons change, things we put off must be dealt with. And it's similar if you have a broken um, a unit or something around your house that's not working, you may can get by without dealing with it in the summertime, but come fall and winter, you've got to address it. And in the same way, things in our own heart, struggles that we deal with, maybe the freedom and the uh, you know fun and fancy free of summer can mask those struggles, but as we face a change in season and a change in our routine, things we put off must be dealt with. You know, whether it's our bills, our health, our priorities, fall and winter are sort of a reckoning that rain us back in and remind us that things aren't as free as we thought they were. And and in summertime, we can hide or get away, but in fall and winter, there is no place to hide. Nature seems to demand that we spend more and do more and extend ourselves in more ways than we may want to or care to. And it may seem that life is requiring us to do more for others than ourselves. And this is not for everyone. It can drag even the best of us down. Pull even the best of us under. And we'll spend the next few months dreaming of better days, of spring and of summer to come, and whatever they may bring us. But what I want us to consider this morning and today is that maybe summer wasn't the remedy for the unrest. Maybe it was just a band-aid. Maybe the way that summer makes us feel and the freedom and the, you know, the, the, the things that we get to do and the leisure, maybe those things weren't a remedy for the unrest that we deal with inside at all. Maybe they were just a band-aid and it happens every year over and over again. The band-aid is pulled off. Ready or not. 
like it or not. And reality doesn't slow down for us to adjust. And in fact, we'll run out of time far more often than we'll have extra time as the year moves forward. And, and, and there's something else that happens this time of year, and I think that speaks to how this season often is like a Band-Aid being pulled off. This season, this time of year, and the few months to come, are filled with more conflict than any other season, any other time of year. Conflict with others, conflict with ourselves, conflict with those that we dislike, and even those who we love. It's like this season brings more eyes on us than ever. Everybody's watching us, and we get to watch everybody too in the year of our Lord 2019 because everybody's lives are as public as they want them to be. And even if you don't want them to be, somebody else may just let, let somebody else in. We are constantly comparing and contrasting, being critiqued and challenged, and this unrest within us, it gets worse and worse, and it begins to wear thin. And I'll just say this, and I mean this as nicely as I can put it. If you're tired before September comes, buckle up and start strap in because it's going to be a bumpy ride until the year ends, right? If you're worn out in August, if you're wearing thin in August and all of a sudden the band-aid of summer is gone, the next few months can be challenging because there may be no rest in sight, no relief, no time to stop and breathe, and nobody else is going to stop and wait on us either. It will seem on some, some days that there is no good enough, and it will seem on others that there is no good. We won't know how to make heads or tails of meeting our own expectations, especially others. So we're left with a question. What can we do to remedy the unrest that often we can mask and band-aid? Is there a help? Is there a hope? Is there a rest that we can find that isn't just temporary, that isn't just seasonal for our families, for our relationships, for ourselves? You know, there's an Old Testament passage that I'm always drawn towards this time of year. It speaks to the unrest in the heart of God's people. And God raised up a man named Jeremiah, a prophet, to try to help them and us and understand this unrest. And he also advocated for them. And I want want you to hear this prophetic voice that still rings into our age. Jeremiah 8, verse 20 through 22, the word says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Now, what does he mean by that? It means we're not whole. That we thought this season was going to fix us up and remedy and make things better, but it did not make things better. It just exposed how bad things were. And maybe you can say amen to that. Maybe that's you right now. That you thought this season of your life would make things better, but you aren't more whole. You're less whole. Jeremiah says the harvest is over, the summer is past, and we are not better. We are not together. We are not saved. He says, for the wound of the daughter of my people is is, is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? So Jeremiah the prophet advocating for the people says, Is there not a source of help in Israel? Is there not a hope in the nation of Israel? Does not the people of Israel have a solution to this unrest? And he would say, Yes, they do. Of course you do. But why then are our wounds... Not restored. Why then are we as awful as we've ever been? Why are we so unrest, full of unrest? They thought that summer would bring peace and prosperity, but it only caused their heart's wound to bubble up. And like us, they were out of time, out of favor, and out of spirit. Being tossed and pulled and pressed by everyone else. And here's, why, here's where all this brings us to. We need... 
We need a help that is beyond and greater than this world can give us. We need a hope that is beyond and greater than what this world can give us. We need a rest that is beyond and greater what this world can give us. And it's no secret that Christians, Christians, we believe that there is indeed a help beyond and greater than what this world offers us, don't we? We believe and we, uh, we, we proclaim there is a hope beyond and greater. There is a rest beyond and greater. But why then are we so full of un? rest. Why then are our hearts so unstable and so insecure? I think we miss the rest that is offered to us in Jesus. I just honestly do. I think this is the most underplayed, underpreached, underproclaimed truth in all of our faith. Christianity should be known for the rest that it offers, the peace and the comfort and the calmness. And perhaps it's so underplayed because it's so underexperienced. Perhaps it's so under-proclaimed because it's, so, it's the most unexplainable. It's the most abstract. It's the most spiritual. I think that Jesus wills that this be the ace up His church's sleeve. I think He wills this be the number one bullet, our choice message. But again, I don't think it's really no surprise to Him that this is missing from so many pulpits, from so many hearts. Even in and during his earthly ministry, this part of his message was the most challenging for his hearers to grasp, to take hold of. Jesus was constantly talking about and preaching about how he could give people rest, not just physical rest, but a deeper spiritual rest and peace. Perhaps famously to you all, Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because what you've been turning to is not working. And that's not surprising to me. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls because you so desperately need it. Don't pretend. You know why Jesus said this so often? Because people were hurting and they are still hurting and we're still hurting and we're wearied and we're tired mentally and physically. Jesus over and over again proclaimed you could almost say He did so tirelessly how He came to give us rest. But I want to draw your attention to something that maybe you've thought about before but maybe you haven't and if you haven't this is so fascinating. Jesus came to a people filled with unrest and promised them rest, yet they resisted Him. Why would they do that? I mean, they were filled with unrest. They admitted they were filled with unrest. He promised them rest, and yet they said, no thanks. It doesn't work that way. Why, why in the world would they resist Him? And it's so ironic because, because what did the Jewish religion to this day, what does the Jewish religion revolve around? Ten... Commandments, right? The Jewish religion revolves around ten commandments. And what is one of those commandments that they would have known and kept so dear to their heart? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So what was one of their big commandments? Rest. Yet they had no rest. And He offered them rest and they did not want it. Isn't that ironic? That they were the people that had these commandments, they followed so meticulously, and, 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 
He offered them what they were not finding in the religion that they held so dear to their heart and yet they refused to receive it? And I think this needs to be addressed in churches today because we miss this. They followed this commandment yet they never found the rest, which is what the prophet's message is all about. They took plenty of days off. They obeyed the Sabbath rules and rituals to a T, yet they were as restless as could be. Isn't that ironic? They had the Sabbath rule and they obeyed it, yet they were restless. And Jesus exposed this and He narrowed in on this, yet they resisted Him. I think there's something here for us to find, isn't there? Something that we need to unpack and get to the bottom of. And thankfully, Jesus did plenty of digging around this area. So many of the gospel narratives, like the one that we read, find Jesus interacting with the Jewish leaders on the Sabbath day, and they're always locking horns, and they're always accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And based on, and according to their idea and understanding of the Old Testament, Jesus broke the Sabbath rules over and over again. I mean, they would constantly say, Jesus, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath. And in this occasion, he says, well, I'm about to break the Sabbath, but I'm going to give you all a heads up. <laughs> I'm going to heal this guy because he needs help, and y'all aren't helping him. And I'm going to show you what I can do for a heart. So I'm uh, going to show you what I can do for his heart by showing you what I can do for his flesh because there's a bigger problem than everybody. And I'm going to demonstrate my power over this guy. But I know y'all are going to condemn me, but I'm going to go ahead and give y'all a chance to open your mouth before I do. And they didn't, and they couldn't. <laughs> but they still didn't believe him. Jesus broke the Sabbath law according to their religion every single day, every single opportunity, every single Sabbath day, it seemed. The Sabbath, to break the Sabbath was to break the law of God. And someone who defiantly broke the law of God, that would put you out of God's will. Yet, Jesus continued in His ministry. And what bothered the Jews most of all was that Jesus seemed close to God as ever, and the favor of God was so present and powerfully upon Him, and even though He broke the Sabbath over and over again, His connection to God wasn't broken at all. The contrast couldn't have been more clear. The Sabbath keepers had no rest, and Jesus, the Sabbath breaker, had all the rest. And Jesus knew this burned them up. And that's why He continually used the Sabbath contention to drive His message. If you want the rest you're so tirelessly trying to find in a day or a rule, turn to Me and I, I... Jesus, are you saying you're greater than the Old Testament? Are you saying you're greater than our religion, our rituals, our practices? I, you can take that however you want to take it. I'm just going to say, I will give you rest. And here and here is where we make the discovery that can make all this make sense. And I hope, if, it's, if you've never grasped this, I hope this opens your eyes. It can change your faith. Sabbath was never meant to be a rule to keep. Sabbath was always meant to be a rest to find. It was never meant to be a rule that you kept on a day or a place or a time. It was always meant to be from the very beginning and especially today because we have the means to find that rest. Sabbath was always meant to be a rest you can find. That is such amazing news Christians. It's so big, it should change our life and our faith. You see, it's in those Sabbath encounters that Jesus had with His critics that made this glaringly obvious. 
They had taken what God intended to be a pathway to rest and made it a pathology of unrest. This is why Jesus often did miracles on the Sabbath to drive even further home his critique of how they understood God's law and God's faith in general. They had taken what God meant for salvation and managed to drip every bit of grace and mercy out of it. And there's a drift in you and there's a drift in me. Heck, this passage is, has been taken and has suffered from the hands of people who teach that Jesus is not proclaiming that the Sabbath is different than they thought. People use this passage to say that Jesus is just giving people an exception to the rule. Oh, well, it's okay to work on the Sabbath if it's a means of pulling someone out of a ditch, but Jesus is not at all saying that Sabbath is more than a day or a law. And I say to anyone who has ever subscribed to that kind of idea, you are missing the greatest point of Christianity. And this is a blind spot for so many believers, a blind spot for so many Christians. And let it be understood clearly. Jesus is attempting to reclaim the Sabbath, not simply reform it. He's not just trying to say, well, you can do this and you can do that, and this is how it works, and we're going to move it to Sunday. He's not trying to reform the Sabbath. He's trying to reclaim it and bring about its original and only intent to bring about rest that we can possess. It's not a rule to be kept. It's a rest that we can possess. And He wants you to find that rest today. Again, just to address the notion that Jesus is only trying to make an exception list. He's clearly trying to make a provocative statement so that their idea of the Sabbath can be challenged and corrected. They were passionate about a rule, yet they weren't benefiting from it. Do you get that? They were so obsessed with keeping the law, yet they were not benefiting from it at all. Can you imagine how frustrated the rule giver must have been by this when his people weren't benefiting from the rules he gave them and were actually becoming worse for it? He was so frustrated that he came to earth and waded into the confusion, into the mess, to course correct things himself, to save a nation who had been given God's law of liberty, but yet they weren't free at all, to show them what they had missed. What was meant to save had enslaved them. Rather than worshiping the lawgiver, they worshiped the law. And here's something the Jews missed. And what we miss as Christians. Remember how the Ten Commandments begin? Maybe you don't. Maybe you've never thought about it. The Ten Commandments do not begin, if you want to be saved, do these. If you want to be my child, do these. The Ten Commandments begin like this. I am the Lord... You're God. As in, we've already got a relationship. I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from slavery. I have saved you. So here's something important to keep you in my will and to keep you safe. Rather than focusing on the relationship with God, they formed a religion around His rules. They skipped the first point of the commandments and went straight to the list. They weren't better for it. They were slaves to their sin, their emotions, and their grief. And that's why Jesus said this in another encounter. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The law was made for people, not people for the law. That if you aren't benefiting from this, if you miss the idea that this is for you, for your good, to give you something to bring peace and rest to you, you're missing God's intent. Sabbath was a gift for people just like the law in general. It was for people. We were not made for it. The 
put it in a way I think is so, so uh, eye-opening. God didn't make people so someone could keep His law. He gave His law so that something might keep His people. Does that make sense? He did not say, well, I just need to make some people because I've got all these laws and I need somebody to keep them. He said, hey, I've got all these people and they're so, so, they're so fragile, they're so likely to drift one way or the other. So I'm going to give them my word so that it might keep them and protect them and, 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 and bring them closer to me. Of course, the Sabbath predated the law, right? The Sabbath is from Genesis chapter 2. And you know the story, Genesis 1, God creates everything. Day 1 through 6, He sets the stage for a perfect environment for people to dwell in. And on day 6, He makes Adam. And then on day 7, God, speaking to Adam, says this. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on, the, on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. God and Adam are hanging out. Okay, Adam... Look at what I've made you. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Adam's like, you know, i got to name these animals. And God's like, Adam, Adam, listen, look up here. You are going to go hog wild whenever you realize what's out there. And he went a little bit too wild, right? He sinned, messed up, blew it all. Adam, I know you are so anxious to do all that you can do. I know there's a big, big world out there, and I know you are itching to get to it. And I'm excited to see how it all works. But on the seventh day, it's all in place. We're not going to start living until tomorrow. We're going to spend this day just thinking about it. Can you imagine how, I mean, would, how would, that, would you respond to that, right? Here's all that I've done for you, but we can't enjoy it or appreciate it or, or go out there and, and, and experience it till tomorrow. It's like showing someone their gifts and saying, hey, you can open them, you know, you can have them tomorrow, you can have them next week. God says, Adam, Adam, I know you're anxious to get to all that I've created for you, but first I want you to rest in me so that you know, so that you know this is what defines you and what will complete you. It's almost like God is saying to Adam, my finished work must always define and complete you. Purpose is not found in what you can run to out there, but who you can rest in right here. And Adam, I know it. I know what will happen. If you run out there and you start finding purpose in that stuff, you will lose your rest in me. And isn't that exactly what happened? And are we any more likely, are we any less likely to have that same thing happen to us? It's already happened to us, hasn't it? God says, Adam, Adam, before you run out there, rest right here. Same thing goes for the Jews after the Passover. God spared them, uh, and the firstborn of Egypt was slain. Pharaoh is devastated and gives them the answer they've been waiting for. You can leave! And they, the story says, they get up and like gangbusters, they are running out of the, the, the city of Ramesses. They are running from their villages. And as they get about a day's journey out of town, God gives this insane commandment. He tells Moses as they make, as they make it to Succoth, he says, God, God, he says, Moses, I want y'all to camp right there. And I want y'all to stay there for a week. What, what, what if Pharaoh wants to come? Couldn't we get far away from this place? I mean, can't we go a little farther down the road? No, 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 no. I want y'all to camp right there, just a few miles out of Egypt, and I want y'all to take a week and remember what just happened. I mean, can't we remember what just happened a couple months from now? Why is God doing this? Why did God do this? 
God said in Exodus 13 to Moses, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. Moses, if you move too quickly, you'll forget and you will begin to trust in other things and you will be filled with unrest. Mark my words, if you do it, it'll happen. Right after the Red Sea crossing as well, it happens again. They cross the river, they cross the sea, and God brings them food and water through miraculous circumstances. And then God conditions them for a week. He says, y'all can't move. They're standing at the edge of the river. They're, they're wanting to run, right? God says, no, I can't. Y'all, y'all can't leave. Y'all have to stay right here for a week. Really? A whole week? A whole week. And it begins to dawn on them on the seventh day all that God had done and all that God had provided for them. And God did this to condition them to never leave that place of resting and trusting in Him. And He says to them in Exodus chapter 16, See, the Lord has given you. This is not about a day or a place. I have given you the rest you've been looking for. And this is so important. When you consider the laws that would come after, again, God wasn't in heaven thinking, I've got all these laws, I need some people to keep them. He made us and He gave us His Word to protect us and defend us and strengthen us. And of course, as Christians, as Christians, we look back on this and we know there's a greater rest. There's a greater rest than what they experienced, right? Greater than the blood of the Lamb is the blood of Jesus. Greater than the Red Sea crossing are the waters of our baptism. And this, this may sound novel, but I think we miss this. We don't eagerly and hungrily open the Word as if God has something good to say to us. It's almost like we brace for impact when we open the Bible. And friends, Christianity is better than that. This this needs to be heard because we so easily can become passionate about rules and we're not any better for it. The religious of Jesus' day were driven mad by this. Just a few pages earlier in in the Gospel of Luke, another Sabbath encounter happened and, and they're just staring at Jesus, waiting for Him to heal this man. And He asked them, is it wrong to do good on this day that y'all have made such a big deal about? Jesus set out to give rest to those that could not find it and did not have it, but they should have had it based on their traditions. I don't want to be hard on, too hard on the religious of his day because many of us were brought up the same way. The reason we can so easily become passionate about rules, honestly, is because we are all searching for security. And if we don't find it in Jesus authentically and genuinely, we will find it in religion. We are driven by the unknown, by the fear of what if. Perhaps this is a way of securing our safety. Perhaps if we do these religious traditions and we barter a deal with God, perhaps if we keep this and we do that, somehow God is going to look on us with favor. Because it's a confession that there's a disconnect in here and we love the idea of having something tangible to point to as our effort to make things okay with God. But that sort of devotion, that sort of superficial, sterile devotion doesn't make any of us better and doesn't give us rest at all. But thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are in those sort of cycles. And it begs the question, how can anyone ever become so passionate about a religion and derive zero to little solace from it? It's because of fear. Now, now you may not be shaking in your boots uh, under the, before God. You may not feel afraid regard to Him, but your posture before Him is fear. 
If you find yourself keeping score, waging your good over your bad, weighing what you've done right over what you've done wrong, trying to bring peace to yourself, trying to juggle and rationalize obeying this and disobeying that, it shows that our hearts are controlled by fear. You may not feel afraid regarding God, but under all the religion and tradition, all the do's and don'ts, there is this uncertainty, isn't there? This, I don't want to think about it because I'm so, I'm, I'll be confronted with things that I can't explain and it makes me feel vulnerable. And listen, you may have everything under control. You may have a cycle that keeps your fear at bay. But come on, be honest. None of it brings you peace. It just numbs you. And you've conditioned yourself to check that box and move on. But you've got no true rest or peace from that, or joy from the very thing you bet your soul on. And it shows in how you convey and communicate your faith. It really does as it did for those in Jesus' day. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they put place before people because they were looking for peace in an it, not a who. They didn't realize how much God valued them, and that's why they did not value others. Because they were looking for their peace in an it, in a day, in a place, not in a who, not in a him, not in God. And my question for you today is, do you think that's how God intended a relationship with him to be? Do you think that's God's will? Maybe the whole idea of a relationship with God is something that just seems too out there for your tradition. Your religion wired you to keep God at a distance and, 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 and you don't really have a good explanation for it. But I do. Because I think religion teaches us and the rituals that we kind of get stuck in as, as, as you know, superficial religious people, as long as God is at a distance, we can pacify our fear without challenging our faith. As long as God is way out there and we're not trying to be close to Him or realize that He wants to be close to us, we can do things to kind of check that box and numb that fear for a little while and our faith never grows or actually never buds. Who is behind that sort of dead-end loop? Do you think God is endorsing that? you think God is the one who started all that? Absolutely not. But the enemies from hell applaud us as we take the doses prescribed to us by religion and those masquerading as angels of light foster us in darkness and they only numb our unrest. And that's where a lot of people are at right now. Do you think that if there is a God who wants, to you, for wants, who wants you to call Him Father, do you think He ever intended a relationship with Him to leave us as mere slaves, joyless and duty-bound, all with hopes that we please Him enough to move the needle in our favor? Do you think that's, God, that's how God wants you and His relationship to be? And you know what else is telling? Lawkeepers and scorekeepers who just compare and justify themselves based on how much better they seem to be than others, they're so bitter. They're so angry. They're so mean. And of course they are, because most joyless, duty-bound slaves are bitter and joyless and mean. But these types, they are like gaping wounds in churches. They are constantly obsessed with those who don't measure up, and they are driven to point and judge and belittle because it's the only validation they can find. We're begging for security. Religion doesn't provide it, so actually we find joy in analyzing and demeaning others because that's the only avenue we, we, can ha we have to find justification. But I've got good news for you. No matter where you're at right now, there's good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a true relationship with our Heavenly Father is way, 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 way better than that. 
And Jesus came to demonstrate this. He tackled the Sabbath tradition head on to reclaim it for God and for our good because the Sabbath is better than what religion had watered it down to be and mean. The entire Bible and all the truth of God's Word is better than what religion makes it to be. The Sabbath is a rest. The Sabbath is a person and His name is Jesus. And you can experience rest in Him by turning to Him. He is our rest. Jesus took this man as He did many and made Him complete while many chased after completion in a day, in a duty, in a religion, but that's never going to happen. God told Adam. God told Moses. You've got what you need. You've got to rest in Me. And in front of us today in a very tangible and visible way, we have presented to us exactly what we need. We must rest in Jesus every single day. We must anchor our faith in Him, His work and His rule. Because again, Sabbath is not a rule to keep. It's God's rule to rest under, knowing that He is our Redeemer. He is our Father. Jesus is our Savior. And His finished work is enough for us. Finding ourselves in Him, our identity, our worth, our security, our moral compass, our wisdom. He is our hiding place. He is our solid rock. He is the still small voice that encourages us to go move forward when we feel like we've been defeated. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. The cross on which Jesus hung and said these famous words before He breathed His last breath. It is finished. In Genesis 2, God finished creation. But in Genesis 3, it all became undone. So from Genesis 3 to John 19, God went back to work and He restored every living thing with the work of Jesus on the cross. And you can have the Sabbath rest today, the complete fulfillment of God in your heart if you say yes to Jesus, trusting in Him, clinging to Him, trusting in His flesh and blood. Where ours is lacking, His is completing and replenishing and restoring and saving and everlasting. Nobody, no thing, no rule, no experience is going to bring you rest. Only a relationship with Jesus where His Spirit wakes you up, His Word speaks, His Spirit leads, His Word answers. All because His flesh was broken for ours. His resurrection restores our life. His blood was poured out for ours and His Spirit restores our soul. And that is why we can say with confidence, as the Hebrew writer said, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God who have entered God's rest, resting from their own works. And communion is the perfect and complete picture where we, can, we are invited to remember and find rest. The invitation is for all of you today to remember the finished work of Jesus and find absolute everlasting rest in Him. Trusting in Him and Him alone. Clinging to Him. Because He promised, come to me and I will give you rest. Maybe you need to come back to that place as a Christian. Perhaps you've never been to that place and you want to begin a new 
journey from that place today. You can. It's that easy. Because the work is finished. We're going to have a short invitation. We're going to sing a song that I think captures this so powerfully. And then we're going to celebrate communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this awesome reminder of the finished work of Jesus. God, I pray you would bring comfort to everyone today that would admit that they don't have rest. In fact, they're filled with unrest. But Lord, like you told Adam, like you told Moses, like you've told every generation, don't move so quickly from this place where I have made it very clear to you that I've done the hard part. I've done the heavy lifting. I've washed away your sin. I've brought you out of slavery. I have redeemed you with a strong and mighty arm. God, if anybody here today, they would, they would admit that they have walked away from that place and they've taken it back into their own hands. Or maybe they've just put their faith in a religious cycle and they've just been doing the same thing over and over again and there is no relationship there. There is no authentic, genuine connection there. But they want it back or they want it for the first time. Lord, this table is set especially for them the promise of your flesh and your blood. Where ours is lacking, yours is completing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.